This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Saturday, March 24th, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. John Bolton will now replace H.R. McMaster as the president's national security advisor. Bolton is an unabashed hawk who displays extreme skepticism toward even the most rudimentary diplomacy. Cato's John Glazer and Sar Khan comment on the change. Bolton is easily the most extreme hawk in American politics. Um, he was a very vociferous supporter of the Iraq War. Uh, that's where he kind of made a name for himself in the Bush administration. Um, he, uh, a few months prior to the uh, announcement that uh, we had successfully negotiated the Iran nuclear deal, March 2015, he published an op-ed in the New York Times saying the only way to deal with an Iranian uh, nuclear program is to bomb Iran. So preemptive or preventive strikes against uh, Iran. Last month, he wrote another op-ed in the Wall Street Journal that said we should uh, preventively strike North Korea, despite the fact that all of the analysis that's done on an outbreak of war in the Korean Peninsula estimates extremely high casualty rates and almost uncontrollable escalation. It'd be a real catastrophe. He was in favor of uh, greater military intervention in Syria. There's almost no a spot on the map that uh, you can point to that p- potentially would have included the United States involved in a war that he hasn't supported. He was actually even too extreme for the Bush administration. Uh, Dick Cheney, Vice President Dick Cheney, kind of finagled him a position as undersecretary of uh, undersecretary of state for arms control. Uh, and then when Secretary of State Powell left. Uh, they tried to – Cheney tried to get him to be secretary of state. Condoleezza Rice refused. So they pushed him over to the UN. Um, and even that had to be a recess appointment because they knew they couldn't get the votes in Congress because even Republicans would have been weary about what a hawk this guy was. Uh, and he, he only served about 18 months as UN ambassador because they did a late uh, confirmation hearing and he couldn't get the votes. So he's an extreme hawk of uh, the most vociferous kind. I mean, I think John is absolutely right. And more than just being an extreme hawk, I think he's almost a nationalist hawk. And by that, I mean that I'm referring to his article that he wrote um, for the University of Chicago um, in 2000, where he referred to U.S. policy debates between Americanists and globalists, where he accused um, those who like diplomacy, want to use multilateral approaches um, as being those that are against U.S. interests. Um, And so he has a very odd way of um, combining his hawkishness with um, very isolationist, nationalist attitudes. And so what you're saying is that he would not, for let's take North Korea or Iran, for example, he would not necessarily seek to involve neighbors of those countries in negotiations that the United States might uh, be asked to broker. And what is what would be the rationale for him saying that that's not something that's valuable? Uh, he, generally, he doesn't think diplomacy is valuable. Uh, he doesn't think that... Um, compromising with other countries and making concessions on both sides can lead to a peaceful resolution of a conflict of interest. His preference is for the use of force and for um, threats of coercion. And he has this assumption in his head that when you issue those threats or when you go to war, uh, the other side automatically capitulates. And so I think what this means for things like Iran and North Korea is that 
The Iran deal, which we all suspected Trump was ready to back out of in May, um, that's a that's basically a foregone conclusion. I think uh, there's no doubt that uh, we're gonna that the Iran deal is dead. Um, and then North Korea, Trump is supposed to meet face to face with Kim Jong Un in May. Um, Bolton is on record saying the only way we should actually engage in that uh, uh, diplomatic standoff is to um, make a uh, an ultimatum, have the North Korean side uh, disagree, and then go to war, which he argued for in the Wall Street Journal. So yeah, he doesn't favor diplomacy, and he's on record as 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 favoring the use of force over diplomacy. <laughs> And as far as the use of force, I mean, the U.S. does have the strongest military in the world. So Bolton has this idea that because we have the strongest military in the world, we should use it all the time. What he doesn't realize is that unplanned and unorganized military action ends up being like an occupation-like force, which is exactly what we've seen in Afghanistan and Iraq. So we have empirical information indicating that U.S. military action is actually not good for U.S. interests and possibly not good for the rest of the world either. And so his stance on North Korea is very dangerous. And so this seems like the opposite of the Colin Powell view of the use of the military, the use of nukes specifically, which is you have them, so you don't have to use them. And his view, if you're correct, is we have them, so let's use them. That's I mean, right. is that, that, that seems so far outside of what even people who tend hawkish yeah. view as an acceptable view uh, with respect to foreign policy. You are completely correct in that, Caleb. And I think the only reason that Bolton is still viewed as, as kind of somehow inside the debate, inside the parameters of debate, and, and even Washington's generally more hawkish foreign policy is because of his perch at Fox News. He's on Fox News virtually every day. He's very pithy. He's very articulate. Um, you know, he doesn't stumble around. He's very clear. Trump likes that. Uh, we shouldn't discount uh, the extent to which Trump has chosen him, not because of his foreign policy credentials or his views, but because he's a really good communicator of what could be the Trump agenda. Uh, Tillerson and uh, McMaster, these were not wonderful communicators. They got in front of a mic and they kind of stumbled around. They tried to um, uh, buffer the harder edges of Trump's foreign policy. And uh, Bolton is a firecracker. So what of uh, Secretary Mattis here, who strangely seems to be, uh, with respect to a restrained foreign policy, seems to be the remaining adult in the room? Is that fair? Well, I mean, I from how things are changing in Washington, perhaps his time is limited. I, I'm not sure. But I think what um, John was saying about um, John Bolton being an effective communicator is absolutely right. Um, that being said, I think we should also realize that President Trump and John Bolton don't agree on everything. To some extent, um, they disagree, for example, on Russia. Um, Bolton has gone on record saying that you know, the U.S. should take a more stronger stance towards Russia. Um, the president doesn't seem to agree with that. Um, also, but the one thing I think they do share in common is that they don't take uh, disagreements well. If anybody disagrees with them, they don't, they're not kind towards that. Um, and they're very, at least Bolton is sort of hawkish in his hawkishness also. Um, and so I think this will be something that we'll have to watch. You know, the, I think it was a New York Times reporter that mentioned um, that uh, Bol Tr Trump asked Bolton to promise that in return for him being national security advisor, uh, he wouldn't start any new wars. So first of all, 
to, the notion that he'd have to make that promise in order to be national security advisor is notable. Um, but it's also, I think, an indication of Trump is very attuned to cost. And I think he d- is concerned about getting involved in another major war that would be more costly than the Iraq war. Well, and, and Donald Trump has made numerous comments about the stupidity of the wars that we, the United States, has gotten itself into. Right. But even, even before the Iraq war commenced, he was asked by Howard Stern, that's, that's should right, we yeah. invade Iraq? And he said, I guess so. Right, right. Very. But, but his rhetoric doesn't match his policies, right? So he might be saying that he is against Iraq war. He doesn't want to start any more wars. And as John mentioned, that he's very in tune to costs. That said, we still have troops in Afghanistan. He's advocated yeah. a troop surge in both Afghanistan. And, he's and, surged um, in Afghanistan. He's increased overall U.S. troop presence in the Middle East in general by mm-hmm. more than 30%. Uh, the, the rhetoric that he engaged with in Iran and North Korea definitely lend itself to war. Arms but deals. Trump can be manipulated. And I think if Bolton finds his way to get, get into a confrontation with another country, uh, he can easily put the blame on that other country and not make it seem like it was Bolton's decision to go to war. Well, and there are a lot of steps that can be taken in the interim that move you closer to war. And this is something that in, in the campaign of 2016, I think one of the few people who was a fairly clear spokesman for restraint was Jim Webb, who, who you know, when Hillary Clinton was arguing for no-fly zones and that, that sort of thing, he's, he said, you know, that's, that you're setting up a tripwire in a, a way. That was slope. his argument. Yeah. It's a slippery slope. And, and Bolton's position on negotiations with, uh, with Kim Jong-un are possibly one example of that. Because as soon as negotiations fail, which Bolton seems determined to make a reality, uh, it lends credence to the military effort. Uh, they don't they don't listen to us at the negotiating table. Let's bomb them. I think it's also important to talk about how um, John Bolton in this administration is very different from the John Bolton that we'll see in the Bush administration. As the Bush administration, he was the ambassador to the UN, which is arguably an organization that does need a lot of reform. Now, in the Trump administration, he's going to be a national security advisor that is very different from being an ambassadorial position. He will have um, access to the president's ear. And as even John and you have mentioned, um, the president is easily manipulative, manipulatable. Manipulated, yes. Manipulated. (laughs) Um, You know, it's also notable that as national security advisor, you don't need Senate confirmation. Uh, it's just a presidential hire. This it is being received um, with uh, some ire in, in, uh, on Capitol Hill. And I think John Bolton is someone who gets the, the uh, grassroots of the left really uh, energized. And I think that'll probably add to pressure from Democrats to push back at least on the Pompeo nomination. Um, we'll have to see how those politics play out, but that's a possibility. I was about to say – look. You know, help put this into context with uh, the ouster of uh, Rex Tillerson at the State Department. This is now Donald Trump's third national security advisor and the movement of uh, Gina Haspel to head of CIA. It it almost seems like there are a lot of pieces in place or will be in place to, to have some really bad decisions get made. Well, I think like all these changes in the administration are pointing to the fact that the Trump 
the President Trump has a very hard line foreign policy. Um, the fact that he's made Gina Haspel, um, he wants her to direct the CIA, um, goes back to his campaign promise of restarting torture programs. He believes that torture works, and he believes that torture gives you right and credible um, intelligence. In his State of the Union address, he also talked about keeping Guantanamo Bay, the detention center um, there, open, even though um, it's been sort of known as a recruitment tool for jihadist organizations, especially al-Qaeda affiliates. So I think what the Trump uh, administration is now doing is moving towards a more hardline foreign policy in which we will see certain things that we thought were over, we start. And by that, I mean torture programs. I mean sort of bureaucratic overreach, um, this idea that um, we don't want to hear any disagreements. If there are any disagreements, you might potentially be fired. So I think we're going to see a lot more of that. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a little more skeptical on the torture thing. I think uh, I haven't seen anything contradicting what was um, reported during the transition when Mattis apparently persuaded Trump that tor torture doesn't work. Uh, also, at the CIA, there's enormous um, collective uh, disdain for the notion of getting back into the torture business just because of um, all the public scrutiny that they went under uh, during the Bush administration. Um, so as a policy, I think, the, the, um, even though Gina Haspel was involved in it, the CIA is still, as of now at least, um, not engaging in a, a torture program or enhanced interrogations of the kind that we saw in the Bush administration. Um, but overall, Sahar is right. I mean, look, Trump is now ousting the adults in the room, with the exception of James Mattis so far, um, and surrounding himself with people that um, make Trump's instincts sound right. So it's a lot of confirmation bias in the Oval Office, I think. And Trump is now feeling his oats. He's more than a year into the, into the job, and now he feels it's his, uh, his prerogative to elbow out some of the people that have tried to hamstring his, uh, his impulses and uh, bring people in that empower him as opposed to uh, keep him in, in check. And all of this seems to be is coming ahead of what are planned to be talks with North Korea this spring, uh, which were you know a surprise announcement just a couple of weeks ago that the United States would be having direct talks to with North Korea and that the president himself might meet with uh, with Kim Jong Un. What is how does that how does this change that? Immensely. Uh, as I said, Bolton has, is on the record in a Fox News interview saying the only way these negotiations are worthwhile is if we go in there and give them an ultimatum. And when the North Koreans inevitably balk, uh, the military option will seem far more uh, reasonable or at least politically palatable. Uh, that's dangerous. Bolton has never been one. Actually, if you go back in the, Clinton, uh, in the early Bush administration, Bolton had a major role in undoing the agreed framework. Uh, he got early evidence that the North Koreans were violating the spirit, not the letter of the deal, by enriching some uranium. And he said publicly that this was the hammer uh, that I uh, wanted to shatter the agreed framework with. Uh, and so he, he, he used that exa example and opportunity to undo a somewhat uh, rocky but at least uh, workable uh, diplomatic arrangement that we have with North Korea. And that, that led to some serious problems later on in the Bush administration designated North Korea as an axis of evil power, uh, and then they went off to build nuclear weapons because they thought it was the only viable deterrent. 
John Glazer is Director of Foreign Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Sahar Khan is a visiting scholar at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.